Hello, friends, enemies, potential friends, and potential enemies. Um, welcome back to You Might Want to Stand Up for This. I am your extremely human host, Melissa Sanders, um, and I am beyond excited to start this episode off with a bang. <laughs> Is that inappropriate? <laughs> if a mother named Karen angrily emails me, I guess I'll know if I did my job or not with this podcast. <laughs> Today, we're going to start in the basement um, of kind of where the church has dropped the ball about talking about sex and what the Lord intended it to be as we look into scripture. And um, I have been anxiously awaiting this series in specific and this first episode and the things that we will cover because this in general is something that I've seen hurt so many people and caused a lot of confusion and and angry discussions and um it's just something that I think that we need to bring to the light and talk about, and um, I'm really excited for it because I feel like it's something that is so deeply hidden within the church, and yet it's something that everybody <laughs> deals with, obviously. Um, and so I don't know about you guys, but growing up as a kid, and even in my like adult years leaving home, uh, leaving Minnesota and coming to Florida and going to different churches, I feel like there's this really weird, like sad pattern where sex is talked about literally like maybe twice during the year and I swear during those sermons it's like the most uncomfortable like anxious like you know that's that girl named Linda staring at the back of your head and you think that she can read your mind and like like she knows somehow that you struggle with lust um I don't know it's just it's it's strange to me that the demon that everybody struggles with daily I would say, if, if we're being honest, is one of the least covered topics in church. And I was thinking about that. And I think that the very embarrassment of the conversation of anything about sex or the surrounding topics is the very result of the distortion that the devil is using, if we think about it, to fuel the problem in and of itself. Because if we saw sex the way that Jesus does and the way it was meant to be, we wouldn't feel shame in the very word growing up. It wouldn't be this like weird taboo word. We wouldn't cringe when someone said it or even when you clicked on this podcast because if it was still considered this good and beautiful and holy thing and and an ultimate act of love and unity between a man and a woman, we wouldn't even flinch, truly. Um, But just as this is a sad truth, I'm also not ignorant to the fact that there are most likely countless churches across the board that are also doing their due diligence and they're covering this topic. Um, But today we're just going to focus on covering what I've seen um, and the majority issue, I guess I'd say here. Um, so before we discuss any further, I'm going to just pray for us and we can get right into the biblical foundation of everything and kind of dig in. So, uh, dear Jesus, I pray that you just um, lead my my words and my thoughts and the, the ways that I want to see this subject with grace and truth and empathy. Um, Father, I know that this is something that you created for good and we have um, seen how the devil has turned it for evil Uh, And so I pray that you just soften our hearts to really absorbing what it truly is and getting to the root cause of how much you care for us within the subject uh, instead of finding anger and confusion in it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, if you have your Bibles out, I'm turning to the very beginning of Genesis. In chapter 1, verse 28, the very, very beginning, um, as we look at the origin of humanity and when sex was first talked about, um, 
it's after the earth is made and it occurs actually on the sixth day when God commands mankind to multiply. And the verse says, God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number. And I just want to point that out. I'm going to read it again. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number. And we have to look at the wording there because I know many, many, many people that are listening to this right now were told growing up, sex is bad. And I'm just like, what? Like, <laughs> no questions asked, none answered, no intervening, no talking about it, no open communication. It's just like the... <laughs> in- <laughs> In the Mean Girls uh, movie, when the sex ed teacher, I just thought of this, is like, don't have sex. You will get pregnant and die. Like, there's just no talk about it. And I don't know where we're truly getting that from. Um, because the last time that I checked, everything that the Lord creates and and touches, and more specifically in this verse directly blesses, is bound to be good. Um, but if the church has this deeply imprinted bad connotation of sex from the moment we can understand what it is, then it'll twist our view of it. And um, I actually did a poll on my Instagram a while back and I asked people to answer answer some questions truthfully. I had asked them if growing up in the church or around like fellow Christians or um, it, or even around, you know, pastors or whatever it may be, if they had the connotation that sex was or is bad. And the results were um, of around the 273 people that had answered, 81% said that, yes, they had that connotation that sex was bad growing up. And I knew that the response would probably weigh heavily on that side, but those results made me so sad. Um, after that, I had actually asked for follow-up on the reason why people had said no, um, which was like the other 19%, and why they answered the way that they did, uh, and why they were able to say that sex was, in their young brains and knowledge, good. A couple of people had answered that um, sex was discussed as a positive thing within the context of marriage, that it was a gift from God to celebrate marriage, made for pleasure with your spouse, and that that was made known by their pastors and mentors. Uh, and one person said that they knew for now, as in like an unmarried teenager, to stay away from it, but that her parents had made it clear that it's good, which is great. And I think that if many like more youth pastors were willing to listen and give honest answers, a lot more people would be in that category. Um, these answers made me happy, but when I asked the same for what people had said, um, when they said that sex was bad or they had that connotation, I asked if it was more because of the lack of conversation about it or more like poor teachings, AKA that it was just bad and not to do it. And there was no, um, like open, healthy communication. And of those responses, 107 people had said that it was a lack of conversation. 72 had said poor teachings and multiple people had actually reached out to me and said that they would have said both if that was the occasion. So either way, once again, my guess was that it was pure lack of communication on the topic, uh, and that that was shown to be true. One particular story of one of my friends, uh, she had DM'd me about it. It broke my heart, and I asked her if I could share the following. And this is just something that if you're if you are a believer, I want you to know is not the truth. And if you're not a believer, know that this is not the correct way that the Christian church should be addressing sex. Um, she said, and I quote, in my Sunday school class called Preparing for Adolescence, lol, <laughs> we were told our virginity was like a fresh new apple. If you had sex before marriage, it was like letting him take a bite from the apple. And then after that, the apple would get moldy and no one would want to eat it after someone else had already taken a bite of it. It gave all of us girls the idea that once we had sex, it was ruined forever and we were unwanted, even if we were Christians that received Jesus. Honestly, it was so hard to deal with some of those thoughts for so long because it planted an idea in my head that I was worthless. I literally have chills on my legs. I, every time I read this, I, I hate it. 
And not only is that completely false and it takes out the the grace and the redemption of Jesus, but it's so specific towards the, the females and talking towards just the girls about our purity. And that's something that I'll cover a little bit later. Um, and that's frustrating. But I think one problem today with Christians and the Christian society that involves myself, obviously, is context. You know, like even when reading the Bible, we don't we don't bother to gather historical context, literary context, grammatical context, um, all of those contextual effects of the Bible, which is a whole other podcast in and of itself. But taking this story, can you imagine if just like one youth pastor or head pastor could send like a mass email <laughs> to the globe of all other pastors saying, if this is your stance, you need to go to your prayer closet because we need to teach teenagers and where that stems and where thinking about sex and those feelings and our bodies are changing. We need to teach them that it is not bad. And I think about how much heartache and hurt that that would save. And I know that some people still have church hurt from years ago in youth group, just being told it's bad and then being moved into a healthy marriage and still carrying that shame, even though it's okay. And this is not just us as Christians that carry that shame of the world and this weird ambiance around sex. I remember actually, um, I was sitting and I had a great conversation kind of about this. I was sitting with a couple of friends when I was in the military during EMT training and we were just eating lunch and um, they were asking some questions and one of them looked at me and they said, but why does God decide who and when we have sex with someone? And within the ne- one of the next couple episodes, we'll be talking about homosexuality and the LGBTQIA plus community. Um, but I remember asking Jesus, I was like, you frantically trying to find an answer and trying to cushion the truth for non-believers. And I just finally said, I was like, for our protection. And I had, they kind of looked at me and I asked them if, if all of their sexual experiences were without shame and emotion and pain afterwards. And it was like silence. And I think that the wheels started spinning and I'm not saying that they became, you know, abstinence activists in that, in that moment. But what I wanted to get at was not, not, not the answer. It's in the Bible. When we resort to that answer, no matter the issue, we're leaving out the caring and the delicate nature of Jesus's plan for our lives. It's almost like when our moms say, don't do that. And we're like, why not? (laughs) And she responds, because I said so. (laughs) Like, well, mom, you should be a lawyer. Like I'm convinced. No, like what happens? We usually have a greater intensity to do said thing because of the lack of explanation it drives us to believe that our needs aren't being met and that we're not actually being protected and we're not being cared for and actually in the book irresistible by andy stanley he's an amazing pastor and author he talks about this concept of consensual action not equating to good action i'll say it again consensual action not equating to good action he gave an example he said that um consensual and bad judgment off actually often go hand in hand all the time And he gave an example of a girl that got into a car with her drunk boyfriend, knowing that he was drunk, so it was consensual. But they got into an accident and she'll never walk again. And if if we're setting the bar at consensual, we're setting it low as Christians. And I know, trust me, I know that that is a hard bullet to bite and that some people might feel maybe attacked by that as Christians that are currently having sex. But 
we are setting the bar low if we're just aiming at consensual because our human flesh will always, always want something that is feeling good and that is is harboring to our needs in the moment. Um, but consensual is not always good action. He actually gave another exercise and he mentioned that he does this frequently with students like at colleges and, and such while he's trying to have these conversations. And he asked the question, if you sleep with a variety of people from now until graduation, and then you meet someone that you think could be the one, will you be tempted to lie about your sexual past? And the answer was actually almost always yes. I mean, think about that. If your sexual behavior with people you hope maybe to never see again sets you up to lie to the person you hope to see every day, what does that imply about the sex that you've had? Because anything that makes us liars for life is a sin because lying dishonors the people with whom we've lied to. And yet this is not entirely our fault. The shame and the fear and the awkward and the complete diversion of this whole topic was started long, long ago, a ch- couple chapters forward in Genesis. If you actually flip um, in your Bibles or <laughs> if you're just listening, if you're in the car, please do not flip to the Bible. Please don't flip your Bible. Please, please, please do not read your Bible while you're driving. I will read it to you. <laughs> it's in chapter three, verse six. And we see uh, that that section might be labeled the fall. And if you're not familiar with this story, um, if you weren't raised in the church or um, you were and you're just not, you don't recognize when I say the fall, what that means. Uh, it's the story of Adam and Eve. And when they were created, they had no shame in their nakedness. They were born naked. Um, and they were actually called very good when uh, God created them in scripture. And this is after he created an entire beautiful planet with with rolling hills and rainbows and and waterfalls and tulip fields and trees and mountains and waves of the ocean. And he described it as good. And then when he made us, he said, it's very good, which in the Lord speak, good in and of itself is something beyond any version of our word word of good. We've watered that down tremendously and we've saturated it because the Lord himself is good. Um, And that's how beloved and beautiful we were, not only in God's eyes, but each other's, you know, our bodies weren't feared. They weren't objectified or distorted to us yet. They were, they were very good. And after this, a serpent comes which is Satan in the form of a snake. And he tempts the woman to eat from the only tree that God commanded them not to eat from. And they were immediately introduced to sin and shame was a part of this. And it says that they realized that they were naked and covered themselves. Jesus later comes to look for them in the garden and they don't respond because they're ashamed and they're afraid. And God eventually finds them. And from there, he introduces consequences and the beginning of sin and what we know commonly as the fall of humanity. So the devil's intention from day one was to inject shame and hurt and grief into anything that Jesus made for good, truly. And this included our bodies, this included sex and relationship with one another. And when we conceal this topic, he's literally winning because that was his plan in the first place. We're actually declaring that shame and the awkward around the topic, much like Adam and Eve's nakedness, is of higher importance to stay away from than the love of Jesus. And this brings me to my next point surrounding the problem. Uh, that many of our past leaders and parents and mentors have slipped up on. And I firmly believe that with anything that is needed to be addressed by the church to protect the body and the people within it, the aversion from it and the lack of detail in the redemptive qualities of the, of the Lord creates a more adverse effect. So in this case, the less the leaders in the church talk about sex, thinking that avoiding the topic will just... I don't know, lead to a numbness and an aversion from students, the more our human mind will actually create in us a curiosity to find answers for ourselves. 
And if we're not getting information from the source, from our leaders, from the Bible, um, or from what Jesus has spoken in the word, where are we going to go? And the answer that I have is very, very scary for the youth of this generation and even my generation and those to come. It's, it's the world. Think about it. How did you find out about sex? Was it your parents in a healthy conversation? Was it in the church or was it from your friends? Was it from the internet? Um, because kids will ask their friends, they'll ask the internet, they'll ask various advertisements with subliminal messages and any other thing that is inherently broken because the world is broken. And so now we've created this messy, thrown together, distorted and messed up version of what sex is or what it isn't because we didn't have the courage to stomp it at the root when we had a chance. And now we have a generation addicted to porn, a generation of broken people just using each other because everybody's broken in order to satisfy a need that can't be filled physically. And it just starts this hurtful cycle that you can't break. And it creates an older generation claiming not to understand where they went wrong with their children or their students. And what could have stopped this if we asked ourselves gentle, informative, honest instruction of what sex is designed for and the empathy when people do mess up. Uh, one of my leaders, since I can't even remember a mentor of mine, Jerry Ostad shared with me this book that she was reading a while back and it's by Linda Dillo called intimate issues. And uh, in the book, it outlines some of the purposes for sex. The first of them being quite obvious <laughs> is to create life, which is brought to us in Genesis 1:28 that we had read previously. The same verse um, that said that God blessed them and to be fruitful and increase in number to fill the earth and subdue it and overcome it. This was his design um, to create more humans. Uh, the second purpose for sex is to create intimate oneness. And we see this in Genesis Genesis. Genesis 2.24, where it states, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united with his wife and they became one flesh. And I want to talk about this one briefly to explain what can happen if we aren't careful outside of marriage. Uh, when we think about this intimacy that's created with sex, it's important to know that this acts is the covenant that seals an emotional, spiritual, and really an innermost relationship between a man and a woman. Not the other way around. And that's why so many people get hurt because they're longing for this intimacy that doesn't magically materialize after having sex because it's designed for those that love and know each other. And I listened to a series preached by a pastor, Mike Todd of Transformation Church a while back. It was three years back before he even uh, released his book. If you know what I'm talking about, it's called Relationship Goals. And I'll never forget that when talking about sex, he said that soul ties or like a link between two souls that God creates when they become one flesh, it occurs. And he mentioned that people are unknowingly engaging in this act with people that they may not know or don't communicate with afterwards. And so in a sense, they are, and I know that this might sound weird, they're going around marrying people and creating soul ties that don't actually have that true covenant. And I know that that may be confusing, but in a simpler way, it's as if your heart is in your hands in like a form of a puzzle, let's say. And every time you have sex with someone, you give them a piece. And now your heart is slowly being placed in the hands of people that they may leave you, they may use you. And when you finally decide to get married, you just don't have as much left. And the scars from previous people are still there. The heart itself does not lose its value. I need you guys to understand that I am not making another comparison to the apple that's being bitten out of and now it's moldy. 
you're not losing value within the pieces that you have left. You're still the same person. You still have the same heart, but you just know inherently that there are some pieces elsewhere with other people. I want you guys to hear that so, so, so clearly that your worth is not changed and your value is not decreased because of that. It's just knowing that there's absence as a part of you. And I'll never forget how this idea was printed into my brain so deeply. My senior year of high school, I was sitting in Jerry's living room Uh, the same mentor where many groundbreaking conversations, as you'll later learn, (laughs) took place um, before I would shortly go to college. And she looked at me and she said, Melissa, I need you to promise me one thing, that you'll be so careful with sexual sin because it's something that never leaves you. And, And she started to weep. And I was looking into the eyes of my role model, who is a wildly successful wife and mother and a pillar of strength and faith. And she was crumbling at the thought of her past where she had been scarred. And it mentions in 1 Corinthians 6, 8-20, to flee against sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with our bodies. And so this describes the pain that sexual sin causes because it's not something that's completely detached. It's not outside of ourselves. It's a physical and spiritual and emotional event that changes you, whether you realize it or not. And I know this to be true, not just with people that are Christians that I've talked to and believe in that truth. I've had very real, raw, tear-stained conversations with friends that I've made in the military that tell me that they have felt shame and they wish that they could take back things that they did. Um, And this is the hurt that can occur when we don't take into account the fact that Jesus was creating sex and created it to seal this intimate oneness with our person that we're designed to be with forever and who we choose to marry um, is as innocent and detached uh, that sex may seem. And that's something that I want to cover a little bit real quick. This is unplanned, but I think in the church specifically, the fact that we have not talked about sex or we don't address it in a healthy way has almost created a compartmentalization of our walk with Jesus in our life and our sexual, whatever that may be, past experiences present. And I think that that is something that we need to have grace for ourselves from because it is a direct correlation to church hurt of the shame that's put around sex. What I'm meaning by this and and kind of like an example is I feel like our whatever it may be, our lust, our addictions, our um, sexual experiences, I feel like we in our brain, we place that to the back burner. And then we are able to still go to church on Sunday or still go to youth group or still be in a discipleship group. And we completely place it on the other end of our brain. And I've done this 100%. It's almost like you detach and that we don't want to invite Jesus into the center of that because it's too shameful and it's something that's so sensitive. And so then it's just sitting there and then it just festers and it continues to um, become a desensitized part of us. And then we just continue to do those same things because if we're being honest, after a while, it doesn't feel wrong and we don't get conviction about it. And that's something that we need to have revelation about in the church and saying that we haven't talked about this subject to the point where we decompartmentalize how it's supposed to be involved with our relationship with Jesus. And we're so desensitized to it that now we're losing conviction over it. And I know that that may be very controversial um, and it may be 
something that people don't agree with as an excuse. And I'm not saying that I agree with that as an excuse either, but we do need to get to the root of things and we need to have empathy for people that are struggling with this instead of just saying, Hey, you should be convicted about it. And it's wrong because when, when has that ever done us any good? If we're honest, if you're having a conversation with a friend and they say, Hey, I'm struggling with, uh, porn. Are you going to go up to them and are you going to say, you should be convicted about that. You should know that that's wrong and you should stop doing that. Is that more than likely going to change them or are they going to distance themselves from you and are they just going to fall back into a deeper hole because now you've placed shame on top of something that was already shameful and you didn't need to tell them that it was bad? You know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like as a church, we need to move past shaming and trying to throw conviction on people because you can't have conviction for another person. (laughs) You can't have conviction for another person. I'll say it again when you are trying to place a conviction on another person, that's condemnation. Conviction is from the Holy Spirit and that's from within. And so if they're not having that conviction on their own, you telling them that it's wrong is not going to do anything but drive them farther from you and probably farther from the Lord. Um, So that was kind of a little segue, but I think if we as a church dig into the roots of why, then we'll get way farther than just telling people how. Uh, Moving on to the third reason, and that is for knowledge. Sex is for knowledge. And this one threw me off a bit at first. I was like, what are you talking about? But when we go into scripture in Genesis 4.1, it says in the NIV version and a couple others simply that Adam made love to his wife Eve and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. But in some earlier version, it had stated that Adam, quote unquote, knew his wife Eve because the Hebrew word for sexual intercourse is actually to know. And I thought that that was really interesting because there's something beyond just physicality that abounds when sex happens because it's, it's always deeper than that. It's always deeper than that. And that's why when people break up with someone after they've been physical with them, it hurts exponentially more because that person knew all of you without the promise of it being forever. And that's a hard pill to swallow. Uh, the fourth purpose for sex, drum roll please, for pleasure. Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> We see this in Proverbs 5 in verses 15, 18, and 19. And it says, drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well, aka stay loyal, first of all. (laughs) But it goes on in verse 18 to say, may your fountain be blessed and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. I mean, that's like a modern day, like, (laughs) that's kind of saucy. It's either poetry like this, though, or like, bust down Tatiana. So y'all can choose which one you'd rather hear come out of my mouth. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's her pleasure. And that's something that God didn't have to do. Like you could, (laughs) we could have like high fived and then boom, there's like an infant, but he made it something that's like pleasurable to us. And that's why I think when we distort it to a way where it's like, it feels bad, that's so twisted because the Lord wanted it to be something that's enjoyed and that's not like by coincidence. Um, so that is the fourth reason. Uh, the fifth reason is defense against temptation. And this is a beautiful thing. And I know some people are like, uh, yeah, it would be great if puberty just didn't hit until my wedding night (laughs) and I didn't feel those things, but that's not practical. Right. And that would take out the, uh, the brain work and the the muscle memory building of fighting temptation for us. Because if, if it was just like that, where we could turn it off, there really wouldn't, there wouldn't be a point because we wouldn't have to fight temptation and that's with anything else. And so we have to fight this temptation daily when you're in a relationship to wait for marriage and it's frustrating. Um, but it speaks on this in first Corinthians. It says, but since sexual immorality is occurring, 
Each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. Do not, do not deprive each other, except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourself some prayer. So God, whether we believe it or not, understands this temptation. And he's kind of saying, okay, I understand that this is hard to wait. It's frustrating. It's obnoxious. So when you find the right person, don't deprive yourself and like burn with passion, as it says later on, like just get married. And I think that there's a lot of joking around Christians getting married really early, like we all know that one Christian couple that met each other one day, three months later, they're engaged. Another three months later, they're married. And I'm like, you found somebody, married, got engaged and married them before I could, I don't know, go to the grocery store. Like what, how is that? <laughs> how did that happen? And what am I missing out on? And what am I missing in general? But if we think about this, in biblical times, people were married, people, teenagers got married, females at like 12 years old and a day was minimum. And for males, it was 13. And that's the, the age that Jewish rabbis set. And by 18 or 20, it said that a male was certainly like, without a doubt, already married. So when we think about how this age has been pushed uh, in 20, the 20th century, and the 21st century where we are getting married, you know, mid twenties, thirties, 35, like there's not really, you know, there's a middle ground. We have to realize that kids were getting married. Like they didn't have to wait a ton of time. They didn't have to struggle through this temptation for years, upwards of a decade past when they got married because they were already married right when puberty hit. So like I said, later on in the chapter, it says, but if they cannot control themselves, they should marry for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Now you could take this very wrong and just assume this means, well, I kind of want to have sex. So I better just go find some random hot person and head to the courthouse. No, I'm not saying that, but all I'm saying is I think that God designed it to be yes, a blessing and a waiting period and to focus on our, you know, muscle memory of fighting temptation, but also the 21st century pushed our marriage, whatever deadline, if you want to call it, by a decade or two. So just some food for thought. I don't know. The last purpose that I found interesting was for comfort. And it, it mentions this in 2 Samuel. It's in chapter 12, verse 24. And it's talking about um, David and Bathsheba. I'll read the verse. It says, then David comforted his wife, Bathsheba, and went to her and made love to her. So some backstory and some context, because without that, it's just like, okay, cool. He comforted her. Fine. But she had actually just lost a son as a con consequence. Um, she had adultery and committed adultery with Uriah. And she was now with David. Um, and she lost a son because of this. And the Lord said that he would redeem uh, this situation with another child and kind of pardoned the inequity. But in the midst of this, Bathsheba is in great distress and shame and in thought about the consequences of her sin and grieving the loss of a child. And so when we put it into that perspective, this act of love is held to such a high regard that his empathy and compassion is shown in a way that not like something else. You, it's, it's a, it's an action higher than, you know, just going and giving someone a pat on the back or writing them a card or whatever it is like this act of comfort um, is so special in this moment to them. And I think that was really a beautiful thing. Uh, when we don't make it weird <laughs> and just say like, oh, she was really sad and he took it as an opportunity. No, that's not what happened. 
Um, but I think amidst the circumstances, um, it's a beautiful way to show why sex was created. So that is all six. And when we look and we zoom out of our old thinking and we see the amount of love and care and careful crafting that the Lord places on this gift, we really have no choice but to see it as a good thing and kind of reverse this embedded theology that we were given in our youth group in you know, whatever discipleship group or Bible study or whatever you were given where you're like, oh no, sex is terrible and I'm going to die if I do it. Now, are there distortions of it in the world? Absolutely. Will people tell you that it's fun and it won't hurt to try? Duh. But the problem with listening to the world is that the people that's telling you, you know, it's okay to try it and and it's a great thing and whatever, they're probably trying to get some sort of confirmation bias. And if more people are doing it, especially in the Christian community, it's more than likely going to become a saturated thing where, you know, I'm doing it and I have a friend that I know is doing it. And now everybody that you know is, is doing it, then it, it feels, I feel like the weight of it becomes less and less and more people want people to feel the way that they do. Now, whether that's having a secret shame about it or not feeling shame at all, I think, like I said, that's a, that's a personal conviction. Um, but either way, I think the more people around you that are doing it, it kind of, um, I'm trying to find like a gentle way to say this. It, it kind of maybe makes you feel less bad about it. Um, if you know other people that are, you know, of high regard in the church or are very spiritual people, um, or you trust their walk with the Lord and they're also having sex, then it's kind of like, well, if they're doing it, then like, I, I certainly can, you know, you know what I'm saying? Um, and this is not, like I said before, just, um, people that have a belief, belief in the Lord. Uh, I've been in the military where people knew about, you know, my, my spirituality and my like pledge to virginity. That sounds so dorky. Um, but my choice on that based on my faith, and they have still told me about their sexual experiences. And without fail, when I kind of prod a little farther to how they feel afterwards, if that person that they had sex with didn't, you know, turn into a real relationship, um, with any meaning, they end up voicing their shame and their hurt in some form and in some spectrum. I'm not saying every person is like, yeah, I'm never gonna have sex again. And you know, it, it, it hurt terribly and it wrecked my life, but there has to be some, it, it is a spectrum, I guess I'll say. Um, but the beautiful thing with that is I've been able to share with people God's grace and told them that that shame is not something that the Lord places on them. And I think that that's something we get misconstrued so often is like, Oh, I had sex and now I feel shame. Like, Oh, God's punishing me for doing that. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. That's the devil saying like, haha, I, I, you know, you wanted to do it and I tricked you into it. And now I'm going to put the shame on you and blah, blah, blah. And that's just something that we don't entertain. Um, and so if that's something that you felt, know that that's not of the Lord and you got to kick that out the door because that's not how he ever wants us to feel. And he never wants us to carry something like that. Um, but I've been able to tell them, you know, that's not of the Lord. And, and I want to walk them through that and that I would never judge. But even with those words and telling them that I care and showing them that I truly could give a rip, um, even just because I'm doing something doesn't mean that I am like judgmental of, of what you're doing. You know what I mean? Like that's your life. That's your walk. I can't, I'm not going to be, I'm not your mom, but I, I want to be there as a figure that's helping you walk through something, but I can't get rid of that thick layer of shame that, that hung in the air after a weekend where I know that parties happen and things happened. And that killed me. Um, 
to see people, you know, walking and looking at the ground because they know that rumor spread and, and whatever that may be. And it broke my heart. But when we seek out the truth in scripture and we're honest about temptation or even past mistakes, and we ask the Lord to either A, keep us in purity or B, call us out when we're having those tempting times, that is something that will be honored and blessed in marriage someday that is far beyond the explanation of words and something that I don't even know um, because it, it's something that I look forward to and I keep as a horizon point. Otherwise, it will be too easy to just tell myself, eh, it's not a big deal. Like, just go for it. Um, and that's something that we have to keep our eyes on. Otherwise, it will be easy to just uh, let our guard down and and do whatever our flesh wants. And so for those that have messed up and they think that they're far from pure or they're stuck wondering how this message applies to you if you're listening, I have some super good news. Um, and that is that in the remaining podcast within this series, um, I'm going to talk about uh, dating and boundaries and redemption uh, of maybe boundaries that you've slipped up on. Um, and so I pray that you listen to that episode as well. Um, but I thank you guys so much for listening. I pray that you heard um, something that elicited a deep breath within you and found truth in something and and know that if you struggle with this, if you're a human being <laughs> and you're listening, um, I'm going to walk us through a prayer that will kind of help us. Um, but I pray that you hear the gentle tone within my voice if you are somebody that is dealing with this and um, whether you feel convicted about it or not, know that this is something that I um, I understand and uh, I pray that whatever this walk looks like for you within that, um, that you find peace and some comfort within this episode. So uh, let's go to the prayer. Jesus, um, help me to see that sex is a good gift that you created and not some curse that we must fight with. Help me to find strength and fervency in you every day to combat this desire so that when the time comes, I can give everything I have to my spouse. And Lord, if I've slipped up already, hold me in your arms and remind me that I am new in you and that my value has not and will never decrease. Amen. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening to the first episode. Uh, Don't forget to tune into the next um, episode where we will discuss Um, not only men, but women with the struggle of porn and how this distorted view of sex brings not only shame and fear into our hearts, but into our relationships and into the world as well. Uh, Don't forget to stand up for each other. This is Melissa Sanders signing off over and out.